When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. It's the start of another week in coronavirus lockdown, which means it's the start of more podcasts for you from Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast, keeping you across the news and opinion from the English top flight. We'll bring you a new show three times a week. Although the name says daily, even we can't waffle on about football for a whole week right now. But nevertheless, we're here for you. So if you like what you hear, hit subscribe and you'll never miss an episode of the show wherever you get your podcast. As soon as a new one is ready, you'll be notified straight away. I'm Niall and we line up in the classic 1-1-1 podcast formation today. Alongside me, we have Adam Keyworth and Marley Anderson. Hello, boys. Hello. Morning. Has anyone else found themselves getting really angry at inanimate objects and just fuming in general for no reason over the last few days? because that is what's been happening to me. I gave the washing basket a good old kick the other day for absolutely no reason. I don't know why I was so angry. I don't know if you guys are feeling the same. I can't I can't play on the Xbox because I just get well wound up at the minute. <laughs> I can't I tried playing FIFA yesterday and I had to, I had to quit the game after about 5 minutes. You didn't rage quit. Of course I did, yeah. Wow. I'm just getting <laughs> I'm just getting kids taking the mick out of me on the Xbox. It's yeah, that's the only thing that's angering me. That and weird sleeping patterns. It's when you see their gamer tags have like 2006 or 2007 in it and you know you're getting whooped by a 13-year-old. Yep. That's that's never a good feeling at all. Um, well, what's on the podcast today? More Premier League restart chat, of course. Lots of ideas floating around about the best way to get things going again, including there being no relegations and a bumper-sized Premier League next season. More on that in a bit. Also, if the whole of next season is to be played behind closed doors, how will that impact the game financially? Will the game as we know it in this country ever be the same again, especially with so many clubs relying on matchday revenue to keep them afloat? We'll also talk about the on-field makeup of Manchester United and Manchester City and Newcastle United too. Things concerningly seem to have stalled regarding the proposed Saudi takeover. I wonder if Marley will have to send back the shake costume he'd ordered off of eBay last week. Uh, <laughs> first off, I want to talk about 
games behind closed doors. I, I don't mean literally, of course, I'm speaking figuratively, as it's highly accepted that the next Premier League action that we see will take place in an empty stadium. But the question is which stadium? Brighton and Hove Albion, they're unhappy with the talk of it being played at a neutral venue like Wembley, for example, suggesting that it's unfair. Keezy, what do you think of this whole situation? Do Brighton have a point here? I think none of it's fair, is it? <laughs> Let's be honest. It's not, <laughs> none of it's fair. The The one thing that they need to do is, we've talked about this every time we're on the podcast, it's all about putting people's safety first and people's health first. And if that means that They've got to play them in neutral venues away from anything else that's going on. That's just tough. We we talked before we came on the pod about, is there anything in home advantage? Yes, a little bit because you're familiar with the pitch and the surroundings, but there's no fans there and everyone's in the same boat. So it's not fair that you can't play your home games. It's not fair that we can't go and watch the teams. It's not fair that everyone's in lockdown. Nothing's fair. So at, at some point, some clubs are going to have to suck it up and deal with it. And everyone's just going to have to deal with whatever hand they're dealt now. So um, I think it's one of the weaker concerns of all the things that are going on. For me, there's there's a million things that are bigger to worry about than, oh, mm. no, we can't play these games in front of three fans and a dog at our own stadium. It's, it's not the biggest concern here. To an extent, I can see Brighton's point. This is elite level sport we're talking about. The mm. smallest margins can make a difference. So interesting you mentioned the word fair because I wanted to play a quick game before we go any further of fair or unfair on today's Football Social Daily. What I'll do is I'll read out some of the scenarios which have been touted as possible ways to restart the Premier League season or possible permutations of that restart. And I just want you to give me one word from each of you, whether it's fair or unfair. So we'll start with you, Marley. Behind closed doors, fair or unfair? Um, oh, it, it's hard to say in a word. It's probably probably fair in the circumstances. At this point, fair. Okay, fair. So that's three fairs, because I'll go for fair as well. Marley, neutral stadiums, fair or unfair? Fair. Yeah, fair. Okay, I'll go... I'll go unfair just for the sake of it. Devil's advocate. Uh, Sporting Merriot, a.k.a. points per game. Marley, what are you saying? Ooh... Um, end the season on points per game basis fair as can be I suppose yeah fair I, I still can't get my head around this points per game thing so I don't really know which way I'm going here like I don't know how that I, d I don't know what that means compared to how like just what the league table looks like is um Sod it, fair, why not? I'm going unfair because there's still too many games to go and I think we've seen so many great escapes over the years so I'm going unfair for that. Voided with the standings as they are, Marley. Just to draw a line under the season now and say this is how it's ending, a bit like they've done in uh, other leagues across Europe. Oh, un unfair. Um, I mean, fair to a degree, but whether that means there's champions, European places, relegation, I don't think that's as fair. Uh, so are you going unfair or fair for that one? I can't really... <laughs> I'm trying to sit on the fence. Um, at this point, I couldn't really care less, so fair. Why not? <laughs> what about voiding the season entirely? No winners, no losers. The season gets chalked off completely. No one wins anything, no one loses anything, and we start again next season from the very beginning. What about this time, Adam? Uh, unfair. I think we've gone too far for it to be fully, fully uh, pointless. I think there's been far too many games played, too many games won, lost. Uh, just to get rid of it completely, I think there needs to be some some clarity. 
I did see the manager of Wealdstone, the non-league side, come out and say, it's like getting your missus eight months pregnant and saying, I don't want to carry on anymore. Um, <laughs> wow. Which is a little bit... A li- oh, Jesus, that's a whole, whole new debate, that one. <laughs> exactly. I wow. not, Didn't think we'd be discussing abortion not, on this podcast. Not quite <laughs> as cut and dry as that, is it? Wow. <laughs> to be perfectly no. honest. Um, no, I think, I think the... I mean, the, the metaphor's awful, but <laughs> the sentiment in... The fact that we've played so many games, it's not like we're halfway through and we're just we're having to scrap it. We're right in the business end now, and um, I think to totally get rid of it would be slightly unfair. Well, very unfair on some teams who, like, I know that Liverpool's the obvious exam- example, but uh, Sheffield United, Wolves, both having these outrageous seasons. And would that mean that Bournemouth go down if we carry on? Oh, well, if it did, then yeah, I think so. They're what a great reason to continue. Yeah. Marley, yeah. Okay, crack on. Marley, what are you saying then? Voided entirely. Unfair or fair? Uh, unfair for me. Congested fixture schedule then, Marley. What about that? When we restart, all the games are going to be played within a really small time frame. Is that fair or unfair? I suppose from this point of view, it's teams with bigger squads are going to find it easier. Uh, I think it's fair because everyone's got a 25-man squad. And if your 25-man squad's not good enough to get through a game every three days, then you've done it wrong. Yeah, if if we need to do this, then it's unfair on everyone. Therefore, it's fair, generally. Okay, I've gone for fair as well. What about the idea of no relegations, which we'll come on to in a second? No relegations this season. I'm not sure how I feel about this one. I think, for me, this is the toughest one of the lot. What do you think, Adam? No, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. What's the point in playing the games if there's nothing at stake? It's utterly pointless to put everyone through this to take the risks that we're going to take then to say but yeah none of it actually means anything like pointless yeah same that's uh, I I would agree with what Adam said there I think that's unfair on on teams at at the bottom because they've been fighting for to stay up all all season so if you're like oh well it didn't actually matter then you've completely wasted (laughs) your time haven't you what a waste of time yeah exactly so I'm going with unfair as well and finally wait until everything is safe and carry on as normal with fans allowed in stadiums with everything back to the way we're used to seeing it would that be fair or unfair possible that would genuinely be because then we're looking at next christmas 18 months time football wouldn't survive without without having some sort of action in between imagine trying to keep players fit for 18 months without playing like it just wouldn't it wouldn't happen um that's and even now we're looking at next season being behind closed doors or at least a big portion of it. I think it's just something that football is going to have to find a way of dealing with. So so we're not going for unfair, we're going for unlikely. What about yeah. you, Marley? Uh, I think it's, it's um, yeah, if, if you had to say f- fair or unfair, it's more unfair because it would just take too long, wouldn't it? There is no guarantees. If you could put a set date on it, you could kind of you could kind of say okay well we'll wait till then because it's definitely coming back that date but nobody knows we're going to crunch the numbers might squeeze them through a computer and see what comes out i've put all of our answers together i'll insert a drum roll here right there we go so according to our answers the football social daily solution to restarting the premier league season is to play it behind closed doors in neutral stadiums with a congested fixture schedule. And if that doesn't prevail, then we end the season on a points per game basis. That is our answer here at Football Social Daily, according to what we've all just said, whether it's fair or unfair, of the permutations I've set out. How does that sound to you, boys? Does that sound like the most logical way of moving forward? (laughs) 
I still like the second one better than the first. <laughs> what points I, I still per game? like just yeah, just bin it, bin it without even trying to start, <laughs> um, and let's just like have a proper plan in place for next season, and have some time to to think about it rather than let's rush into it, get it done, risk loads. Um, and hope for the best. This is it. Really feels like we said this last week. It feels like a proper hit and hope. Right, let's have a go and see if this works. We we might get to a point in a month where they've started it and they have to stop it again, and you'll find us back again finding another solution, which would be playing in Australia or some absolute nonsense. Which, yeah, oh my god, it'll be it'll be even more messy if that becomes the case. <laughs> anyway, what are your thoughts on how to restart the Premier League season? We'd love to hear from you as well as some questions as well for our weekly question and answer podcast, which we do on Fridays. Uh, this week, though, due to the fact that we have this weird thing in the UK called a bank holiday, uh, it will be on a Thursday. So send your questions in as soon as you can at the Sports Social on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram is where you can find us and go and visit our Facebook page as well. Right then, we mentioned about next season being possibly behind closed doors all of next season. It's a real possibility. Club directors are understandably concerned about it, Marley, because it means they're not going to make any matchday revenue, such as uh, matchday sponsorship, fans buying tickets and hospitality. Yeah, and it's, um, it's a big thing, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of revenue behind behind the fans and, and the, the concessions and all the, all the food and everything that you sell on a matchday. If you think about everything that goes into it, your matchday experience as a fan won't just be your... Your twenty-five quid ticket. It'll be the the tenner you spend at the burger van and and the drinks and a pint at half time. It'll probably cost you a fiver, um, and everything just goes into it. So it's everything that's just slowly like grinding to a halt, isn't it? And it's that kind of thing that you can't put up with for too long. Um, as Adam said before, I mean football is is a business, and there isn't much else to sell other than football to fans who want to consume it and they can't at the minute so there's um there's a question of of what you do if if this drags on for too long um and you know we've seen we've seen clubs um posting things on um on websites like uh, just giving and, and things like that to raise money for for their clubs uh, in at non-league level um, and that'll only extend up the leagues to to national league teams and to league two and one teams and maybe even in the championship because every every club's finances are balanced so finely these days that a hit like this could really like really really hurt them so we've got we've got to look out for that that's exactly the way the way everyone really needs to look at this the premier league will be affected and the premier league is the poster league of of all leagues not just here but abroad as like this is your big tv money uh hit which that's mm. where most of the money comes from let's let's have that right uh premier league clubs make a lot through the gates some more than others united and arsenal are miles ahead of everyone else in terms of match day revenue um but it will it will decimate clubs in the lower leagues unless there's a new way of finding revenue streams it's like in every business you've seen even restaurants uh, bars finding trying to find new ways of staying alive by doing these make your stuff at home kind of thing with football again if the only asset is people going to the game and buying the the stuff at the, the stadium your, your food your drink everything else that comes with it without that some some clubs are going to be in real trouble you just have to look at Sunderland and we've 
all seen bits of the documentary if not we've watched it their their home support kind of keeps them afloat at times and without that you're going to struggle it's it's going to really really affect teams down mm. the leagues and there's going to have to be a way um whether it's the the redistribution of all the money down the leagues who knows but um it's it's going to be an issue isn't it and even for a fan like we go to the games all of us um it's it's weird it's going to be tough not being able to go to the games i don't really care too much for watching my team on telly every single week in front of zero fans i know that's weird because it's nice to see your team play it just takes away the the fun you don't get to go you don't get to go out with your mates you don't have that a lot of it is the whole communal feel mm. you're watching it with your mates or you you're talking about things that happen with your mates yeah. you say you're looking at all the things that go with it even if you can't go to the game it's very different with a crowd the the players how how are they going to get up for things and you miss the drama what if there's a imagine the aguero goals in front of zero people it's that kind of thing where the drama's lost it's lost forever you're not going to get those classic moments in any level of football where there's nobody there because you don't get the the emotion that goes with it so it's football is going to take years and years and years to recover because if if it goes into next season mm. then the euros are at risk again so it's mm. it's going to take a long time and there's going to have to be some genius thinking from somebody who gets paid the money to do so um because there's no like we're not qualified enough to come up with an answer but i don't think anyone's seen an answer yet that everyone's gone oh actually yeah that that makes sense financially at the minute all it makes sense for is watching 22 blokes on a field on telly mm. yeah because that's what we're down to now precisely the reasons that you you mention about it being not the same if there were no fans in the stadium are exactly the reasons why i was anti and still am anti var because i feel feel that that immediacy and that passion is somewhat downtoned um when var is introduced but that's a debate for another day you mentioned manchester united 123 million pounds worth of revenue they could have missed out on from the fact that they've got no home games between now and the end of the season because of coronavirus and you know there's so many different options for premier league clubs now in terms of the broadcast revenue i mean we see this broadcast money coming in and everyone's saying premier league clubs will be fine but as we mentioned before, that match day revenue it, it does form a large chunk of their of their income. Marley, I mean, you can't ignore the fact that football, you know, is basically built around the idea of fans. It is, yeah. Um, and the one criticism of of football, of modern football, I should say, is the fact that fans have slipped down the the priority list for for clubs. Mm-hmm. It would seem like if if you ask me you know um what's the most important thing to a football club it's fans but if you ask the ceo who is essentially a businessman to make profit he would probably rank the fans if he was being honest he would rank the fans lower because he ranks sponsorship higher and he you know tv rights and he gets more money from there but in a situation like this when you take away the fans they start to realize how much of the club that the fans revenue makes up and the fans like love for the club makes up because I think fans are are seen as unimportant by clubs now. I, I don't think the fan experience is as anywhere near as good as it was even 10, 15 years ago in terms of mm. going to games and whatever, whether that be VAR, whether it be the the way the players interact with the, f- the fans, whether it's the... the um, 
the emergence of, of social media channels making it more distant between fans and and players and and clubs, for example, or the other way around, maybe. Is, is this like a? Could this be almost a, a sliding doors moment for especially Premier League clubs where they go, oh, you know what? Maybe the fans were important. Yeah, massively. Because yeah, the, the, they're going to see what what they're missing without yeah, uh, us all the, going to the yeah, game every 100%. week because. Yeah, we're a drop in the ocean for Premier League clubs' revenue, unless you're United or Arsenal, really. Um, but what we do offer is the what are the players going to run to when they score a goal? You know, like it's the simple things where they might realise actually we do we do need to make this accessible for the fans. And the other thing being, when this is no longer behind closed doors and it's safe to do so, whether that be the vaccine or whatever they're now talking about they're going to need to get fans back through the gate because even as someone who's had a season ticket for God knows how many years, I'm in no rush to go back at the minute. Like, none. Well, you're not going to want to sit in amongst 50,000 people. Likewise, you at St. James's Marley, are you really? Even if the government say tomorrow, this is all over, you can go back to your normal lives, I'm still going to be cautious about what I do. God, yeah. Things are going to take a long time and and the the teams, and not the teams, but the... uh, the people in charge at football clubs are going to have to find a way of getting fans back in and making fans want to come back because I don't want to spend 700 quid next season going to see City not knowing if it's safe. And also, you you don't... It's, I mean, the likelihood is there have been plenty of fans that have struggled with things like redundancy and whatnot. I think that people are going to be a, yeah. a lot harder off and I think football clubs also are going to be harder off. So you might see people be outpriced of a possible season ticket and things like that. But Mm. this is a debate that could rage on for hours and hours and hours. So I wanted to bring our attention to something we mentioned very briefly earlier on in the podcast. And that's this idea that there could be no relegations this season. So if the season is ended, it's likely that the title will be given to Liverpool. They're 25 points ahead. It's pretty much certain. It was 99.9% certain, according to an Opta survey, that Liverpool were going to win the Premier League title when or if the season resumes. However, what might possibly happen if uh, if Liverpool are handed the title is you get clubs like Leeds, Marley and West Bromwich Albion in the Championship saying, well, hang on a second, you can't just give Liverpool the Premier League title and not give us a fair crack of the whip of getting into the top flight. So what we might see is no teams being relegated from the Premier League, but teams being promoted from the Championship, resulting in a revised 23-team league. I mean, what do you make of that idea? Would that be carnage, or would that be actually quite smart? The thing is, I I quite like that idea. I mean, of of this promotion happening and, and relegate. Like, I don't like relegation not happening, but if you are going to say, well, it, it can't come back because we can't get the safety of everyone you know sorted out and and have a, a scenario where we play the last eight or nine games and it all works itself out naturally so if you can't possibly do that it's better than scrapping the season as we said before and the points per game things a bit wishy-washy at the best of times it doesn't it sort of kills the the spirit of football slightly in terms of you know Bournemouth could go and beat Liverpool or Watford could go and, and smash Chelsea away from home as they did with Liverpool kind of thing. It doesn't really take into account that shock factor that football's all about. So if you are going to go with a, a no relegation thing, it, it, it's too harsh on the teams that, that, are, that are at the top of the championship. Um, for example, like Leeds uh, have been... 
I think they've been in the top two for like all but two weeks of the season and it's pretty similar with West Brom. So for me, like if, if you weren't going to do relegation, I think I still think you've got to do promotion um, because of the money issue as well. I don't think Leeds could even survive if they didn't um, if they didn't get promotion this year. They would have to strip back their costs massively because they've got a, a very big uh, wage bill. They've got an expensive manager um on, on in terms of wages they they've thrown everything at this season to to get promoted as they did last season they could only just go again this season financially uh from what they did last season as 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 is documented in the uh the um Leeds United documentary on Amazon Prime which is which is definitely worth a watch because you see how they run and you see what kind of decisions are being made financially there and if you freeze the assets then you you you're essentially killing a club kind of thing so going back to the 22 or 23 team league um as i've i've said on this podcast before i think if you are going to do no no relegation you've got to do the two teams at the top of the um the championship to get him get him promoted um i would scrap the third the third place playoff thing because you know, in real life, you would have eight or nine games to see who gets into the playoffs, and then another four games in the playoffs to see who comes up. So it's all wishy-washy anyway. There's a lot of ifs and buts, and and games to be played in in the in the playoff system at the end of the season in May, um, or what would have been in May. So I would bin off the the third team coming up, and I'd say, look, you two were in the automatic promotions. You were set for promotion, and it'd be Leeds and West Brom in the Premier League next year. And it'd be a 22 Premier League, um, 22 team Premier League with um, five relegation slots instead of three, and I think that again it it has that it carries that excitement through to next season as well because all of a sudden people have got to fight a bit harder because they've got to be better than five teams in the league if they don't want to go down. Exactly, and I think that's a good point as well because Adam mentioned about how are you going to get fans excited again for watching the Premier League. Well, if you've got three extra teams in the league is that going to add an element of excitement to to supporters watching the football for next season see the the other thing is so i i actually kind of disagree on this i think you can't promote teams if you're refusing to relegate teams this season and leeds are only six six points uh, ahead of third leeds and west brom and there's still plenty of games to play and you could have the same argument that Leeds were in the same position last year and they cocked it up spectacularly. So you can't guarantee... You can guarantee Liverpool are going to win the league pretty much. They're 25 points clear. Six points for me doesn't quite cut it. Um, You're saying to Fulham, you're six points behind with, what is it, nine games left and you're not going to make that up. Whereas you're saying to Norwich, you're going to stay up even though you're seven points off... uh, the, the safety net I don't think and this is my least favourite term of the whole of this thing is this sporting integrity hmm. that everyone's talking about there's no sporting integrity with giving people this £200 million promotion giving Liverpool the league but saying yeah the three in the bottom three are fine just let them stay up and avoid that thing I think if you're going to bring two teams up then why are you not sending two teams down if that's what we're getting to? Especially with the the finite amount of points that these two teams are on. Leeds are on 71, West Brom on 70, and then you've got Fulham on 64 with nine games left. Mm. It's too tight for me to, to then say, yeah, it's definite that Leeds and West Brom would have gone up, but Fulham, you can... The thing is, though, like, what if, what if as well, like, 
let's say this the season got ended and no one got promoted and no one got relegated like next season if Leeds went bust because they've lost so much money off off, off something that isn't their what fault if Fulham went bust and they and they and they got wound up why would you know what? Where's where's the fairness in yeah, that as well? What, what if Fulham go bust because they were six points behind? Fulham, Fulham have Fulham have had five years of parachute payments. They've only just gone down last season. Oh. They've got loads of money, but that coming from the Premier League, Leeds have thrown everything to get back at the Premier League. But it's they're only six points ahead. That's what I, it's. How yeah, is but that? they got six points more than everyone else. The argument now reverts back to what. Brighton and Hove Albion were saying about playing games behind closed doors. For instance, they've still got to play Manchester United and Manchester City at the uh, at the Amex Stadium, whereas at Wembley, even though it's a small disadvantage to them, it might be a disadvantage which sees them get relegated from the Premier League. And likewise, other teams might say, "Well, Brighton haven't played the two big boys from Manchester yet, so you know they might they might lose six points." So I, I do yeah. see I do see both sides of the argument if- here. But we're gonna we're gonna call it a line here because I think otherwise we end up getting into all sorts of choppy waters and we've still got loads to talk about on today's podcast. After this quick break here on Football Social Daily, we're gonna be talking about Manchester United and Manchester City. Andy Cole says the red half of Manchester are close to challenging again, but is he right? More on that after this. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Make sure you hit subscribe to the podcast if you like what you hear because we'll bring you a new episode three times a week throughout this coronavirus lockdown period. My name's Niall. Alongside me on today's podcast, we've got Marley and we've got Adam and we've been talking about all the possible permutations over a Premier League restart and whether there should be promotions and relegations, all sorts of stuff. Now we're going to be talking about the on-field action where Andy Cole, Manchester United striker of a few years gone by, has said that the club are close to challenging for the title again. I'm not sure what he means by this, but I want to know if anyone here thinks he's right. Can they usurp Liverpool or Manchester City in the near future, Marley? We've seen the building blocks starting to go in place at Old Trafford in terms of buying better players to fit into that side. Um, I think the, I think they're going in the right direction, but to even mention the the word title at this point is, is very, very premature. I think... I think... <laughs> I might annoy a few Man United fans by saying this, but I think a lot of them get carried away too quickly when something starts going right. It's one of them clubs where if if they win, everything's amazing. They're, they're back where they were. They're as good as are they as good as the the team that Fergie left kind of thing. Um, and there's loads of comparisons and that kind of thing. But then when something goes wrong, it's like a reality check of of what they have still got wrong with the team. Um, I think Solskjaer the the. The um, players that he signed under his tenureship have all been successful, and therefore they are going in the right direction. But I mean, they've got, they've got to um, focus on getting into the Champions League places before they. You know, you, you can't run before you can walk. <laughs> it's it's impossible. That... So to mention the title, I haven't quite heard the the exact quote what Andy Cole said, but he's uh, he's, he's way off if if you're talking about the title because of the strength of Liverpool and Man City. And then if you compare the squads, I mean, if you've still got the likes of Andreas Pereira and Jesse Lingard on your bench and you're comparing them to Liverpool and Man City, who can bring Bernardo Silva off the bench and bring, you know, um, 
Shakiri and Origi off the bench, you, you start to see where you are as a club. I'll quickly read out the quote for Andy Cole just to give it a bit more context. He was speaking to Sky Sports. He said, It's taken Liverpool 30 years to get themselves in this position. I never want to see Manchester United in that position, taking 30 years to possibly win the Premier League again. Manchester United will get there with the better players that they keep and the better players they bring in come possibly next season or the season after that. So he's basically saying he doesn't think it's going to take 30 years. He thinks it could take until next season or the season after for them to win the Premier League again. So that is a hell of a statement that he's making. I mean, he's given himself some some leeway, hasn't he? he like Marley said, he spot on there. Running before they can walk. They need to get into the top four. They're, they're a million miles away at the minute. I mean, they've spent nearly 500 million quid in the last three years. And they're going to have to spend another 500 million to get near City and Liverpool just because of the the sheer distance. They're 38 points behind at the moment. So I don't know how they're going to make up 38 points in a year. So they're, they're nowhere near. I think Marley, again, is right there. That squad-wise, United are building a very good first team at the moment. They're, they'll end up adding Sancho in, and you've got a very good first team, but they are like paper thin in terms of a squad. They don't have the like the depth that City and Liverpool have. They also don't have the the style of football there yet. We're seeing bits of it every now and again that they can play this this really nice brand of football, but they've still got that just kind of ability to crumble in certain games and it, next year is a total no the not. The year after maybe if they can bring in five or six really really high level players but it's not it's not an overnight job and he he's using that oh it took Liverpool 30 years Liverpool have been up and up and around there now for a fair few mm. years and they they finished second Especially, a few times over those years haven't they yeah last year they got 97 points and finished second so they they're not exactly been miles away for the last couple of years have they and they've been building this this side and that's what united need to do it's not going to mm. take one summer it's not going to take one season it's going to take three or four to to really gel this squad together so um andrew cole as he likes <laughs> as he prefers being known is is probably stre- stretching so but does what andrew cole says uh <laughs> directly contradict marley what ed woodward said by saying because manchester united have lost out on match day revenue because of the circumstances surrounding the football world at the moment there are going to be no big money signings at manchester united in the foreseeable future now whether that's just chief executive chat i'm not so sure but I mean, from what Andy Cole's suggesting, he basically directly contradicts the fact that Ed Woodward has said that there's probably not going to be as many big names coming into the club as we would have expected purely because of the situation. So if that's the case from Woodward's perspective, is Cole maybe even more wide of the mark with his suggestions that they can bring in players good enough to win them the title in the next two seasons? Uh, yeah, he's, well, he, he, we we know he's, he's wide of the mark. He's... he's uh... Speaking as a, a former player, and if if a former player says things like that, it tends to get the fans, you know, excited again because oh, Andy Cole said this, and it seems to have a bit of clout. With, whereas in reality, in reality, it's it's a dream, really. It's it's not, you know, you can't thirty eight points behind the behind the um, the top of the league. You can't say well. We'll we'll make that up next season with a couple of signings because you just won't like <laughs> if we if every if Sheffield United played one more game this season and won it they would be above Man United 
in the league. Are they? They're not saying that. They're not saying, yeah. well, we can push for a title next season. And people might be listening to this saying, yeah, but so, Man United are better than Sheffield United. Well, yeah, in terms of personnel, yeah, yeah, they are. But are they a better team? Not really, because you know the the best teams finish above above you know the league table doesn't lie. It's that, it's that kind of thing. Um, exactly, your, your prestige doesn't guarantee you a, a a better place in the league. And the the other thing, don't forget that football did did start in 1992, um, because before that, United didn't win the league title for 26 years. So sometimes it takes time. People just have shorter memories when it comes to that. Yeah. There was also that um, old quote from Ed Woodward, wasn't there? A couple, just not not too long ago, maybe a couple of years, eighteen months, something like that, that said, "We're Man United. We can do anything. Uh, we can do things in the transfer market that other clubs can only dream of." So, all of a sudden, Spend more than the accountant is wondering about his money, and he's thinking, "Oh, hang on, I might have got this wrong because uh, I've crunched the numbers and I haven't got as much money as uh, <laughs> as we think." He's got all these spreadsheets out, and he's into a panic. So. You know, circumstances change is basically what I'm saying. So, you know, it's the same for same for everyone. You can't you can't claim to be thirty odd points better off next season with a couple of signings because you need way way more than that. I think we should point out for the sporting integrity of this podcast <laughs> that Adam Keyworth is actually a Manchester City <laughs> fan. So, on that front, we're going to talk about City. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne has been speaking recently, Keezy. He said that he's keen to stay at City for one more year, even if there is a Champions League ban. But two years of a ban would be a bit of a stretch for yeah. him. He is world class. He's one of the best midfielders on the planet. Can you understand this viewpoint from the players? I mean, he's been he's been almost misquoted. Um, he said he could deal with one year. Two, though, is very long, which was the end of the quote. Um, two years is a very long time without the Champions League for for any player of that caliber and. It, it would be really interesting to see if the ban does go to two years, what happens. Um, that's all up in the air. I mean, in current circumstances, God knows when that's going to get sorted out anyway. We don't know if we're going to have a season, never mind players playing in the Champions League next year. Um, he is he's irreplaceable at City. He's arguably, and I don't think the argument is, is very strong, he is, he's arguably the best, the best midfielder in the world. I think you'll, you'll find few people who would go against that at the moment um, and he's in the peak of his career so two years for him outside the Champions League you can totally understand why he'd, he'd then look at his future um, and I think the other players would have to follow suit because at the end of the day the careers are very short in football so two years out of a competition that is where you actually make your, your name globally is is going to be really tough but I think we're just going to have to wait and see what what comes of that whole ban thing it's so on the back burner at the minute isn't it that who knows what it's so ever ever changing with everything in football that I think well from from what we've said before on the pod and when we've had Sam and the likes on um, I would be very surprised if it's two years it will definitely be one um, but it, it will be interesting to see what the players do and you can't blame them if they, they do need to look elsewhere I don't know where on earth the Bruyne would end up um, he's one of those players at the moment where yeah you could probably see Sane going to Bayern Munich it's a fit you could probably see Sterling ending up at Real Madrid because it looks like a fit no idea where De Bruyne ends up so I, to be honest I'd, I'd rather not think about that <laughs> uh, so yeah it's a tough one um, there's other players at the moment who I'm worried more about and not because they're leaving just because the careers are fast running out 
and we're not playing any football. So they're a bigger worry at the moment than than the Champions League ban. Of course, you're talking about players such as Fernandinho, who has agreed to a year extension, but he's 35 now, and it's almost inevitable that he's going to leave. We know that David Silva's going to leave. So, Marley, if, if Kizzi's concerns are kind of realised, and maybe they lose Sterling, maybe they do lose uh, other players due to this Champions League ban. Leroy Sane looks set to go to Bayern Munich, as has been the case for the last, well, around about a year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is it going to be a real reconstruction job going on at Manchester City? Are the supporters rightly concerned about what their team's going to look like over the next 18 months? Uh, yeah, it, it seems like it. Um, if you take that many top players out of your, your team, you need to rebuild because a lot of the, um, you know, I think we said, we mentioned it last season, I think a lot of the, the leading City players are a similar age in terms of, if you go back like, two or three years, you know, Yaya Toure, Aguero, Fernandinho, company, they're all uh, a similar age, so they're all going to get to the end of their careers at the same, well, within one or two transfer windows of each other kind of thing. So when um, when Silva leaves this year, so company, I think Yaya left a couple of years ago, company left in the, in the summer last year um, to go back to Belgium, uh, David Silver, it'll be this year. Next year, it'll probably be Aguero and Fernandinho. So mm-hmm. you got to replace them. And as well, if you've got the ban as well, then you've got the the predators circling for the likes of Sterling and Sane and mm-hmm. De Bruyne. So all of a sudden, you're left with like Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, and you've got to you've got to add to those guys and and build another team and and go again kind of thing because it's another wave of the revolution. I think that's a good point in. These so City's spine of the team is almost gone. Silver going will be we're just left to Aguero then really. Fernandinho came in there a little bit later. He's been there for seven years, but uh, Silver's been there ten. Aguero's been at City for ten years. Next year, he he'll probably go next summer. He's got a year left. Um, one thing City have done quite well, and I I'm almost like I try not to give them too much credit for for what they do sometimes in in the transfer market, but. They're building quite a young new spine, which is gradual, like you say, where you, you can't just throw in five under-25 players into your squad one season, but Edison, uh, Rodri, Sterling, even Laporte to some extent, Jesus, Bernardo Silva, all under the new age bracket where you, you've got to kind of build that spine up. Um, Fernandinho is going to be a massive loss because of the things he's done, as Pep said, he's one of City's best ever players. Um, he's one of the most loyal players around. The things that he does off the pitch and the fact that he, he played and paid for some of his transfer just to get the move and all that sort of stuff. He's going to be a big loss as a as a captain figure. David Silva, I mean, you can't really talk any higher of him, what he's done at City, what he's done as a Premier League player. He's going to go out without any fanfare, which seems quite sad. Um, we're not going to be able to say bye to him as City fans and things like that, which we had for company. You had that for Yaya. You had it for Zabaleta. So that's that's quite a sad loss. And then obviously Aguero, you, you can't replace a man who scored 250 goals in 360 games at this level. So it's going to be a weird few years, but I think you're already seeing that um, Yaya went and then we, we brought in a couple of midfielders and they've, they've done the job. It's just going to be, you can't, directly replace these players man for man and you've seen it at every other club who've been up there at the top you've got to change the kind of 
not the style of play, but you've got to change the personnel to fit the style of play. You, you can't have another Yaya Torre, you won't have another David Silva, you can't have another Aguero, but you've got to find a way of making the new players work and fit the style of play that you want to play. So it's going to be interesting, especially the current climate with who knows what finances in football are going to be like. So what do you have to do then? It's it's all a bit mad. I'm, I'm sad about David Silva, though. Um, he's, he's oh, it's almost fitting that he's going out with no fanfare. He's not one for for taking the plaudits. He's he's quite a shy guy. He's just going to kind of fade away after being probably our best ever import. So I've heard he's a bit of a monster on the beers, though. Believe it or not, yeah. David Silva is a party animal. Anyway, we'll leave that for another for another day. So. Yeah. Well, apparently it's true. Apparently it's true from what I've heard. Um, oh. and and talking of what the finances in football are going to look like, and from the club you support, Keezy, to the club that Marley supports, yeah. I've written this down as Newcastle United latest. But the truth is there isn't any. So I want to know, Marley, are you starting to get slightly apprehensive over this possible takeover? Is this the calm before the storm, or is this alarm bells ringing in your head as a supporter? Um. I'm I'm not worried yet um, because of the... So from where we know it, the move is in its final stages um, and the, the fit and proper persons thing and the all the all the legal stuff is going through. Um, apparently that takes two to four weeks. Uh, we're in the fourth week of it now. Um, so really, by the end of this week, we should, we should know something like concrete. Um, obviously, there's, the fans are all over uh, Twitter trying to trying to get in touch. The, honestly, the Google Translate has been busy this week in <laughs> getting getting Geordie <laughs> slang into uh, the Arabic language and copy and pasted onto Twitter. It's uh, it's quite funny to watch. Um, but there's you know there's prominent figures and journalists and and things like that and and uh, businessmen in Saudi tweeting things about Newcastle and saying like it's all done, it's ready to go. So we're kind of getting everything unofficial from from people, um, but not anything quite official yet. So I think maybe a few are getting are getting a little bit apprehensive because in, in, they've been burnt before with these kind of things. But I think it seems all it seems all straightforward and, and only a matter of time, really, um, before we get on the cans, because that's what, uh, that's what the Newcastle fans are... Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, doing. I mean, if you search hashtag cans, it's just all Newcastle fans um, saying that we're on the cans as soon as the uh, <laughs> as, as soon as this takeover goes through. And it's I tell you what, honestly, there'll be no social distancing once uh, Mike Ashley goes because Newcastle will be every just everyone out there on on the cans on the beers, even if they have to try and stay two meters apart. I don't think the uh, the mood around Newcastle will be will be. Uh, anything like you've seen before so you've not sent you've not sent that fancy dress costume back to amazon then <laughs> uh no i've um i'll i'll have to make do with a tea towel or something won't I? <laughs> oh manchester city fans know all about that uh Keezy, and we've spoken about it on the podcast before um yeah. the fit and proper persons test is obviously going to draw some controversy but if that is the final hurdle it seems unusual that these owners won't pass it i think marley's right in that it it seems like it's taken a while, but these things don't happen overnight. And like it's like trying to buy a house, isn't it? It's not it's not the most straightforward thing. And yeah. at, at this current time as well, I imagine there's just delays in in admin because staff aren't there and 
to be honest, and this is no slight at Newcastle, there's actually other things that need sorting out as well. The Premier League are obviously all trying to find out what they're going to do with their actual product. So I just imagine it's delayed admin-wise. Um, it looks like it's all, all going to go through, isn't doesn't it? So um, I, I think we've, we've talked about it every week, haven't we, that they will pass the fit and proper persons test because I could pass it and I don't have 300 million quid. So that's that's not a test of morals or ethics. That's just a test of, can you afford this football club? Do you have some money in, in the bank? And do you promise to look after this football club? Yes, 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 cool, you're in. So as long as you can afford it, then let's just crack on, isn't it? And I think it's important to stress as well, although many people are, are concerned and understandably about the history, the past history of these possible Saudi new owners it's unfair to change the parameters of the fit and proper persons test just because someone who you possibly aren't too fond of is going to come in and take over the club if you change the rules in the summer or maybe the first of january or the first of the new financial year then maybe you'll have a case but at this situation you can't just say oh well we don't like what these owners have done in the past um if they fit the criteria of the fit and proper test then they'll be allowed to own the club i think that's the arguments that many sort of Newcastle fans and pundits are making Marley that you know you can't just move the goalposts because there's some question marks over this possible new ownership yeah exa- exactly I mean there's probably there's worse or just as bad people running clubs now than than these guys trying to take over over uh, Newcastle I think if you look at you look at PSG they're owned by Qatar I mean Qatar's got a, an appalling human rights issue they've also they've also got tied up in the world cup bribery thing of, of getting you know paying for to be awarded the world cup in 2022 there are a lot of things and i think i think we'll be fine the burden of morality doesn't fall upon the fans you can the, the two things aren't mutually exclusive and you can disagree with the owners and what they do and what their their country stands for and all those sorts of things and still support your team um i don't think i like I disagree with a lot of what City's ownership have been embroiled in in the past. Um, but I still go and support my team because that's all I've got to support. So you you can really disagree with it and Newcastle fans should disagree with it. You shouldn't. You don't have to go to bat for a Saudi prince, royal or whoever they are. You don't have to go to bat for them and say, Look, oh no, no, they're actually okay. They're not, but they're also going to bring a lot of joy to you in another way. So... Don't don't put it on the fans, please. Um, but you you do have to question it. It's one of those things. I think everyone's clever enough to find a balance between that. And like I say, if the Premier League are going to allow it, then what are you going to do about it? You just you can, and some fans will. Some fans will say, "Do you know what? I don't I, I don't fancy that." They can crack on, but with them, I'm not bothered. But the majority, and I I fall into this camp is. I'm going to go and support the team and the club. I don't have to support the ownership. It's totally separate. So crack on. They'll pass it and I imagine it'll all go through. Yeah, there's also a thing. I think a lot of a lot of fans who, will, who aren't Newcastle fans and the ones that have that, um, have that outlook on it of, oh, well, they're all, you know, they're all dodgy. They're all human rights issues and that's why they shouldn't be shouldn't be allowed into into our game into our country where we you know we we 
we've got nothing to do with them. Why why are Saudis kind of trying to buy clubs in our country? If you look at it in the in the coming five, four or five years, when the when the Premier League um, rights go up again, the TV deals now with Saudi um, with with a Saudi owner, Saudi companies can get involved in the TV rights and push more money into our game, into our league. I think everyone benefits from it and people forget it. There's so many cans of worms to be opened. If if you want to open them, fine, open them, but pre- be prepared to see what's going to come out. Cause are they you... the cans that Newcastle fans are talking about, Marley? Cans of, cans of worms or are they <laughs> cans of lager? There'll be a few... Uh, there'll be a few cans of worms drank on there when this all goes through, trust me. Uh, cans of Nuki Brown. In summary then, Marley, you're not twitching like Harry Redknapp just yet. <laughs> not at all, no. Um, I think we'll I think we'll be all right. Perfect stuff. Anyway, this has been Football Social Daily. Thanks very much, Adam. Thanks, Marley. Cheers. Thank you. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast as well. We'll still be bringing you three new shows a week, including... Every Friday, a Q&A session where we like to answer your questions. So if you've got anything you want discussed on the show, DM us on social media, slide into our DMs and Marley will be picking those up and uh, curating your questions for Friday's podcast. So at the Sports Social on Twitter, at Sports Social on Instagram, you can also find us on Facebook. But that's it for now and we'll speak to you again soon. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Slow-cooked, succulent meats delivered fast to your door. Search for us via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.